Great. If um, you have your Bibles, if we could turn to Acts chapter 16, please. Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 to 5 together this morning. So Acts 16, starting in verse 1. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities, and they had delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Would you pray with me as we look at God's word together? Father, we give you thanks for our time this morning that we can open up your word and we can look at your will. Heavenly Father, we pray that as I try to unpack this passage that you would speak through me, you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to obey you, that you might take us, Lord, from glory to glory, that your word would accomplish the task for which it was sent, that you would make us more like Jesus, we ask in his precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the reasons I love visiting Regent's Chapel is that I get to hang out with people who are really passionate about the extension of God's kingdom. And I absolutely love that. I love being around people who are passionate about God's kingdom going forth. When I visit this church, I meet people who are given their time to reach children for Christ. I meet people who are given their time to reach teenagers for Christ, um, to reach people who are in debt for Christ, to reach their family members for Christ, to reach their colleagues for Christ. And the list goes on. The last time I visited Regent's Chapel, Louise uh, Morley gave a presentation on church planting, which was hugely encouraging, sharing her heart, how she'd changed from being a little bit of a skeptic about church planting to being a real advocate for it. Um, I phoned Andy Gibson this week, and he explained to me that at the moment, as a church, you're praying through the idea of extending this building, possibly, and also maybe planting a second congregation in the future. And at a time when the established church in our nation is making compromises in certain places and is shrinking, here you are as a gospel-centered, risk-taking, Jesus-proclaiming family of believers. And you're growing. 109 people you had here last week. And that's an amazing thing. It's, It's wonderful. It might not seem... Um, spectacular to you when you're kind of on the inside and you see kind of the, the warts and all of, of, of church life. But as a brother who's visiting from the west end of Newcastle, it brings real joy to my heart knowing that um, here you guys are in the, in the posh end of the city, uh, you know, reaching people for Jesus. You know, people who wear barber jackets and rugby tops and drive Land Rovers, they need Jesus as well. So, um, joking aside, I, I have got a barber jacket as well, so... And I would quite, I would quite like a, a Range Rover or a Land Rover if I could afford one. Um, but it's a wonderful, wonderful work that you're doing here. And I really believe the Lord commends you for your labors in the gospel. Over at Gateway, we pray regularly 
for you that God would strengthen you in the spirit, that he would add to your number, that he would give you perseverance to keep on running the race and bearing fruit for the kingdom. And I'm really pleased uh, that this morning I get to preach to you from Acts chapter 16, 1 to 5. As I meditated on this passage, I really felt that I found some lessons here which I think are going to be timely for you as a group of believers here in Gosforth. Um, this final, the final verse in our, our passage today, verse 5, speaks of the church being strengthened and increasing in number on a daily basis. That, that sounds good to me. I would like that to happen in our church, and I'm sure you would like that to happen in Regent as well. And the question is, how were those churches strengthened? It says that it was as a result of Paul and Timothy's visit to them. So Timothy, who we're going to focus on this morning, he came to faith in Jesus through Paul's first missionary trip to Timothy's hometown. And here we see Paul returning on his second trip to Timothy's hometown, and he chooses Timothy as a young guy who can really help him strengthen the churches in the Mediterranean region. So together they would embark on Timothy's first ministry trip, which turns out to be a, a roaring success by all accounts. In Acts 16, we, we have the benefit of reading about the beginning of Timothy's Christian journey. And then later on in the New Testament, we read more about Timothy's development in the Lord. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 11, Paul says that Timothy is a man of God. In 2 Timothy, he says that he is a man of sincere faith. Then speaking of Timothy's ministry rather than his character, in 1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul commends Timothy for doing the work of the Lord. Furthermore, in his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul spoke of his desire to send Timothy to that very church because Paul said that he had no one like him. No one like him. Now we can glean from that statement that Paul had a number of disciples, but none were quite as committed, quite as faithful, or quite as fruitful in their ministry as Timothy was. So today the lessons that I'd like to relay from Acts 16, 1-5 are mainly focused on the life of this fruitful man, Timothy. And they're going to be familiar lessons to many of you. You'll know them. But they're valuable lessons which, if we truly put them into practice as Christians, they'll help us see the kingdom of God extended through our labors. So before I unpack these, there's just something really important that I want you to know about Timothy. Timothy wasn't an apostle. Timothy didn't have a special office in the church. When we read of Timothy here, he was just an everyday Christian. He was from a family where his mum was a believer and his dad wasn't. He was a young guy and he faced real opposition in ministry because of his age. And in addition to that, he suffered from frequent stomach problems and all different kinds of ailments. You know, sometimes people have this kind of romantic view that everybody in the early church was unaffected by the mundane day-to-day problems of life that we face, freeing them just to be completely radical for the gospel. But you know, Timothy's life tells a completely different story. Timothy faced various challenges 
similar to the kind of challenges that you and I face on a daily basis. Yet, because Timothy made some serious foundational choices in his life, Timothy was incredibly fruitful for the kingdom of God. So he has three basic principles that we can learn from Timothy's life that are not by any means comprehensive in their coverage of successful Christian living and ministry, but they do provide a good, simple foundation for being fruitful and extending the kingdom. So here's, this is the first lesson for us this morning. To be fruitful in extending the kingdom of God, you must, you must, you must, you must be rooted in a local church community. You must be rooted in a local church community. I met, I met with an elder from a church in Northumberland a couple of months ago, and uh, he was sharing some of the, the challenges that they're facing up there as a, as a church, and as, as churches in Northumberland. And his greatest con- I said to him, what's your greatest concern at the moment? What's your greatest challenge? And he said his greatest concern was a growing trend amongst Christians in Northumberland who were leaving established churches, biblical churches, and just believing that they could have Jesus, but without the church. They could do the Christian life, but without the church. And he spoke on this for two hours. I couldn't stop him speaking about it. And he was sharing tragic stories of people who tried going alone, but were now walking in darkness. And it's something that I've witnessed too over my years as a Christian. And generally, the root of that behavior is offense. It's offense. It's people getting offended by someone in the church. And so they leave and they boldly proclaim that they're strong enough to follow Jesus without the church. You know, Jesus doesn't require me to be in a church to be a Christian. The vast majority of people I know who've done that, nearly every single person I know who's done that, is no longer walking in the light. And that's in the space of about 10 years. There's one person I met who used to believe that, who actually now is walking in the light. They're an exception. And that person's part of your congregation, Linda. Um, She said I can say this, so that's okay. She's given me permission. I first met Linda um, when she applied to be a street pastor. quite a few years ago now, and um, she came to an interview with me, and uh, she gave me her application, and I noticed on her application in the space where it asked what church you're part of, it was blank. So I thought, I've got to ask Linda about this, because we, requi- we had a requirement in street pastors that you had to be part of a church to be a street pastor. You had to be under spiritual authority, be accountable, all of those things. And um, so I said to Linda, so, so why are you not part of a church, Linda? And she said, well, I don't need to be part of a church. I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. I read the Bible. I don't need to be part of a church. And I said, well, you know, I beg to differ. I think you do need to be part of a church. And we went back and forward for a little while. Linda was a little bit different then to the Linda you know now. And um, as Brian Clough once said, we, we talked about it for a while. And um, she gave me her opinion, and I gave her my, my opinion. And in the end, we decided that I was right. Well, at least I did. She didn't. Linda went away, and in her own way, in her own words, she went away with her nose in the air, and she just totally disagreed with everything I said. Um, safe to say, she didn't become a street pastor. She didn't get the job. Um, two years later, we're doing another recruitment, and I get an application, and I have a look, and I think, oh, I know that face, Linda Stockley. This is going to be interesting. So um, I just scanned over it. I didn't look at it in detail. But when she, before she came in for her interview, I looked at it again. I thought, oh, that's interesting. She's at Regent. I've spoken there before. They're a decent church. They, you know, sound. What's going on? So anyway, Linda came in. Her character 
had completely changed. I knew from the first words that she spoke that the gracious words that came out of her mouth, she was completely different. She was humble. She was actually very repentant. And you know what she said to me? She said, you know, not only did I realize that I was wrong, that actually I did need to be part of a church. You're right, Sam. And, um, she said, um, I actually realized that I was never a Christian and I needed to get born again. And uh, now I've gone to Regent. They've shared the gospel with me. I never really knew the gospel. Now I know the gospel. I'm born again. I'm in a church. I'm going on well with the Lord. And the amazing thing was that last week I was reflecting on this because just last week, um, Linda took me out to somebody's house on a cap visit where we got to go and share testimony and share the gospel with those people. And I just sat there and I thought, this is just an amazing turnaround. And it comes from the fact that Linda's realized that it's so important to be rooted in a local church. Her life has completely changed and now she's bearing real fruit for the kingdom of God and she's going on from glory to glory in her own character. Now there's two primary reasons why if you're going to extend the kingdom, if you're going to bear fruit like Linda is now, you need to be rooted in a local church. The first one is to do with sanctification. To be sanctified means that you're cleansed from the ways of the world and that's God's will for every Christian person. God wants the values of the world, the patterns of the world, the desires of the world to be eradicated from your heart and replaced with kingdom values and kingdom patterns. How does God go about doing that in your life? Well, he doesn't do it instantaneously. as Some people think, like a lightning bolt, he does it progressively over the years, over the decades, through his word. Ephesians 5.26 explains that the Lord cleanses his church by the washing of of water through the word. It's the word of God which brings change in your character. Now, the people who believe that they can do Jesus without the church, they don't deny this passage. They just believe that through studying the Bible for themselves, a cleansing effect will happen, will take place. Now, whilst personal Bible study does have a cleansing effect in part, on its own, it's by no means enough to bring a believer to the kind of maturity that God desires for them. God uses various means and methods to cleanse people through his word. The Bible explains that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, various gifts to various people within the body of Christ. So there's people in this congregation here who have gifts of wisdom, meaning they can appropriate the word of God to you in a very wise way that other people can't. There's people here who have the gift of knowledge, meaning they know depths in God's word which other people don't know, don't see. There are people here who have teaching and preaching gifts, meaning the Holy Spirit has anointed them to unpack the word of God and herald the word of God in such a way that it pierces your soul, in such a way that you will not get through a personal Bible study. There are people here who, although they may not know it yet, may not recognize it. They're gifted prophetically, meaning that they can spend time talking with you and they can just disclose the mysteries of your heart to bring you to such a way where, to such a place where you're laid bare and you're drawn to repentance and faith. All of these gifts are needed for the maturing of your Christian character. And they're given not to the isolated individual, but they're given to the corporate church, the corporate body of Christ. So if you're trying to grow on the basis of your own personal Bible study alone and you're neglecting the gifts that God works through his people, 
through other people. And it's like trying to win a fight with your legs tied together and a hand tied behind your back. You can't achieve Christian maturity without the help of other Christians. That's the way that God has designed his church to function. The second reason you won't extend the kingdom of God without the local church is in relation, is in relation to ministry with the lost. To be, in fact, to be effective in ministry to the lost, you need a team with various gifts. You need gifted evangelists. You need prayer support to strengthen you. You need pastoral support for when the going gets tough. You need teachers who can help you answer good questions, uh, difficult questions. And you need encouragers to help you keep on keeping on. The reality is most people who claim to follow Jesus but are not part of the local church aren't engaging in any form of sustainable outreach to the world. So in short, it's, it's just pure arrogance to believe that we can live as a Christian island without being rooted in the local church and still remain fruitful in extending the kingdom of God. Now in Timothy's case, Timothy was under the tutorship of his mother Eunice and also his grandmother Lois. They became believers before him and they will have taught him God's ways. However, Timothy not only had his biological family, but he was part of a local church. Acts 16.2 tells us that Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers. In between Paul's first and second visit to Timothy's hometown, we see that Timothy has lived out his faith amongst fellow believers who commended him to Paul. They said, this is a guy, we've seen his life, we, we've, looked at, we've seen the decisions he's made, we've seen the way he speaks, we know this guy's of good character, we recommend him to you. And it was that testimony of the brothers in the local church that caused Paul to choose Timothy as his fellow missionary, as his protege. The fact is, when you walk alongside other believers and you're sharing your struggles with them and they're seeing your life and you're bringing your sin into the light and they're, they're shedding tears over you and they're praying for you, God will bless you and he will open doors to you that he wouldn't open if you didn't have that kind of community around you. So I just want to affirm you this morning, if, you know, if you're here and you've You've chosen to be committed to this family of believers and you're faithful to serve here. I just want to say well done this morning. I really believe that's pleasing to the Lord, that you're faithful to stick into a local church. If you've been attending services here for a while, but you're not a member of Regent or you're a member, but you're not plugged into a home group and you're not really walking in fellowship with others, I just want to encourage you this morning, make a decision right now to get committed into the local church. Make a decision to become a member. Speak to Keith, speak to Paul, speak to Andy when he comes back. Get committed, get involved as a member. Get involved in a home group and you'll, you'll find that you'll grow in your faith and God will use you to help other people grow as well. You know, if you, if you somehow find yourself here and you're in no way committed to any church, maybe it's the first time you've been here and hey, maybe you've been offended in the past, maybe you've been part of a church and you've left because of some kind of offence, I just want to encourage you, if you've got, if you've got no kind of um, intention of joining the church, I just want you to think differently. I want to encourage you to think differently this morning. Be encouraged through Linda's testimony. She's now bearing real fruit for the kingdom because she's rooted in this church.
be encouraged from Timothy's story. He was a man who was unique in his generation. He was used powerfully by God, largely because he committed himself to, to maturing in the faith amidst a local congregation of believers. So that just leads me on now to the second point, the second lesson we can take from Timothy's life, and that's this. To be successful in extending the kingdom of God, you need to make personal sacrifices. You need to make personal sacrifices. One thing I've learned since becoming a Christian is that life doesn't get any easier as a Christian than it did when you were in the world, but it gets much, much harder. Every single believer has been given a commission. We read about it in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You have a commission from the Lord and it's a costly commission because the people you're going to try and reach have lots of barriers which you need to cross before they will hear your message of good news. Now, salvation is of the Lord, meaning if you're a Christian, it's because God has chosen for you to be a Christian. God's changed your heart. God's enabled you. He's empowered you to put your faith in him and keep following him. It's a work of his grace, not of yourself. In saying that, the other side of the coin is that as Christians, we have to make every human effort to partner with God in helping other people come to Jesus. And that means making sacrifices. Our commission that Jesus has given to us is not a comfortable commission, but it's a sacrificial one. Timothy's life is a perfect example of that. Timothy's first missionary trip was to places where the elders were Jewish. Now, Timothy's mum, she was Jewish, but his dad was a Greek. And because Timothy's dad was a Greek, Timothy hadn't been circumcised, which was a custom for Jewish children. And as Timothy's mentor, the Apostle Paul, knew that if Timothy, being a half-Jewish young man, went to deliver teaching to the Jews, and he wasn't circumcised, they would reject Timothy before he was even afforded the opportunity to share his message. That was a huge barrier to the success of Timothy and Paul's missionary journey to extend the kingdom of God. Now, earlier in Acts 15, we learned that the apostles and the elders had passed a decision that circumcision was not required to become a Christian. And I'm sure as a teenage boy, Timothy was relieved to hear that he didn't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. However, whilst it wasn't required for salvation, circumcision would, would indeed help Timothy be more successful and be more fruitful in his mission. And so what did Timothy do? Timothy voluntarily chose to be circumcised in order that the Jewish church would be willing to receive his teaching. Timothy counted the cost, and I assume it was a painful cost at that. Now, how many of us in Timothy's shoes would have thought to ourselves, well, if the Jews are too religious to receive my ministry just because I've not been circumcised, I'm not even interested in visiting that church. That is not the kind of church that I want to do ministry in. That's not the kind of church that I want to strengthen or help. 
You know, in my time as a Christian, I've noticed that people in the church can get very easily offended. Some of us won't even talk to others because of their worship style or because of some funny tradition or custom that we think is unnecessary. Yet Timothy was not only willing to mix with the Jews, but he was voluntarily circumcised just so that they would allow him to strengthen their church. That's an incredible thing. It's no surprise, though, that Timothy was willing to make, make such a personal sacrifice when you consider that he was mentored by Paul. Paul explained his outlook on mission, and he said this. He said, although I'm free and I belong to no one, I become a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. And he said, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in some of its blessings. Paul had no obligation to be anything to anyone, yet he was willing to be a slave to anyone if he could only win them to Christ. That's exactly what Timothy did with his circumcision. He became a slave to Jewish practices in order to build a bridge to be accepted so he could share the gospel with the Jews. You know, if Regent Chapel is going to continue to grow from strength to strength and the kingdom of God is going to be extended among you, it's going to require all of you to make some sacrifices so that others can find freedom in Jesus Christ. It might not be circumcision, thank the Lord. It might not be cultural sacrifices, but sacrifices will be required. Make no mistake about that. Some of you might need to let go of some bitterness that you've held on to against another person in the church and instead forgive them that God may strengthen both of you and release his blessing on this congregation as you walk in unity together. Some of you might need to make some sacrifices by letting go of pride, humbling yourself, confessing lifelong sins that you've had, that God may strengthen you and make you effective in kingdom ministry. For others, you might need to make sacrifices with regards to reaching the lost. It might be that you have to take the risk of losing a friendship by sharing the gospel with someone. It might be that God wants you to share your faith with a family member, which for some of us might mean the risk of rejection by those closest to us. For some of you, it might mean willingly laying down material things, possession, houses, money, in order that you can be released into more effective ministry. I, I can't cover everything, but simply to say that the extension of the kingdom of God re requires a maturity amongst God's people that our desire to see the church strengthened and the lost saved would outweigh any personal cost to ourselves. If Timothy had refused to be circumcised because of the Jews' stubbornness, I imagine Paul wouldn't have taken him. Might be wrong, but I imagine Paul wouldn't have taken him on that first ministry trip. And more than likely, Timothy's life in ministry would have been much less fruitful and our New Testament would have looked very different. But yet, Timothy counted the cost and the church of Jesus Christ reaped the benefit. So that's our second lesson from Timothy's life. That to be successful in extending the kingdom of God, you need to make personal sacrifices. You need to count the cost. And this is our third and final lesson today. To be successful in extending the kingdom of God, 
The gospel must be your primary message. The gospel must be of first importance to you. It says of Paul and Timothy in Acts 16.4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to the churches for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Now, as I've mentioned already, the decision made at Jerusalem was that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised in order to become Christians. So you might wonder, what on earth has that got to do with the gospel? The difference between Christianity and every other religious system on the planet, you can throw a ring around every other religious system and then leave Christianity, Christianity on its own. The difference between the two is that other religions are about what you must do to be made right with God. Christianity is about what Christ has done for you to make you right with God. Other religions are about being accepted by God as a result of your works. Christianity is about acceptance based on grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, alone, which empowers you to do good works. Now, if you had to trust in Jesus and be circumcised to be saved, many non-Jews wouldn't have come to faith in Christ. So what was the essence of the authoritative message that Paul and Timothy delivered to the churches which caused them to strengthen and grow in number? It was the affirmation that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not of works, not of circumcision, not of anything else, so that no one may boast in anything by the cross of Jesus Christ. Their message which was effective in strengthening the church, was the gospel of Jesus. Now the gospel, contrary to what many people think, is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is also for believers. You can never exhaust the glorious riches of what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. The gospel not only makes a person legally right before God, but the gospel is that which sanctifies a person, which cleanses them from sin. If you want to be successful in extending the kingdom of God by strengthening believers already in the church and reaching the lost, your primary message has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel in your worship, the gospel in your preaching, the gospel in your pastoral care, the gospel in your social justice work, the gospel in your children's ministry, the gospel in your literature, the gospel in every single thing that you do. Now, although this might seem obvious to you, you think, well, I know that, the reality is that the gospel is not always central in every area of church life. If it were, I believe the church would look a lot different in our nation. My general observation of the church in our nation today is that we're really big on social action, but we're quite shallow on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you will know that I was involved in Street Pastors for some time. It's a ministry that I established in Newcastle and helped establish other ones in the north of England. And I, I led that for six years. And um, I've not really spoken on this publicly much. Um, and I don't want to in depth. But just to say that one of the main reasons I left Street Pastors was the refusal of the overseers of that ministry to make the gospel the central message of that work. Social action without the gospel is like putting a sticking plaster on an axe wound. People are helped temporarily. We 
we see to their temporal needs. But there's no message which has the power to deliver the person from the behaviors which got them into that mess in the first place. And that was what I was seeing over and over and over again in the works that we did. There is no cure given for the sin problem if the gospel isn't central. And so people are allowed to wallow in their problems but also perish eternally. And that is an absolute tragedy. That is not social justice, that's social injustice. If our works are going to stand the testing of God, which is the only test that matters, what was of first importance to the apostles has to be of first importance to us. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that is the gospel. Now, my sense is that generally, as a church, you guys at Regent, you guys and girls at Regent, you, you do really well with this. You do well with this. And my encouragement is that in your evangelism, whether it's corporate or whether it's one-to-one, and in your discipleship, and in everything you do, please keep putting the gospel at the center. The requirement of God that man must live in accordance with God's ways our utter helplessness in our sin to do just that. Jesus Christ's atoning death and his resurrection which brings eternal life and the call of God for all people everywhere to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of heaven and earth. If that message permeates our whole life and ministry, the fruit of our labors will look that little bit more like Timothy's. The church will be strengthened. The lost will find new life. They'll find glorious hope and they'll find a loving gospel-centered family in the church. So in summary to everything I've said, my hope and prayer and I'm sure yours too is that Regent would be a strong, a thriving, a growing congregation where you're forcefully extending the kingdom of God through church growth and through church planting. And every single one of you is needed in that. Whether you're here this morning or whether you're listening on the website and you didn't make the service this morning, every single one of you is needed. There's not a person here who is born again who is a spare part. Every single member has a part to play. If you're here and you're not born again, get born again and become a member of Regent and join in the family and get involved in extending the kingdom of God. And if every individual commits to the three principles that saw Timothy bear fruit, I'm sure that you're going to see great things. So in summary, here's the three principles again. Number one, get committed to the local church. Become a member, join a home group, walk out your faith with other believers. Number two, resolve to make whatever sacrifices are necessary for you to build bridges that you may share the faith with other people and build them up in Christ. And number three, be a deliverer of the gospel, not your own good ideas. Be one who in every work boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the only message on the planet in the universe which has the power to save sinners and cleanse us from our sin. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that you are the Lord of all, that you are holy, that you are majestic, that you are wonderful, that you are glorious, that you are the creator of all things. 
and you require us to walk according to your ways. And we confess, Lord, that we have fallen far short of the standard you require. And we give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to earth 2,000 years ago. This, this Lamb of God who lived a perfect life without sin and who died a criminal's death, a horrendous death on the cross, absorbing your wrath that we deserve, that you might set us free from our sin, that you might forgive us, and that you might free us, that we may walk in the newness of life. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who is not yet trusted in you. I pray that you would cause, cause their faith in Christ to rise this morning. I pray that you would enable them to trust in you this morning, Jesus, to fling themselves upon you, receiving the forgiveness that only you can give. I pray that there would be salvation in this place this morning. And Father, I pray that you would bring us wisdom how you desire us to walk in fellowship with one another. And I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us into good works. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Regent that you would grow this church in the Spirit, strengthen them in the Spirit, that the things of the flesh may have no hold on them. And I pray, Lord, that you would Increase them in number, Lord, that they may plant out and they may extend the kingdom, Lord, in this region and beyond. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. Lord, as we come to share in communion this morning, we pray that as we meditate upon the bread and the wine, the death of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would cleanse us once again from our sin and make us more like Jesus. In his precious name, amen.